Isn't God good? Our God is faithful and our God is good. And we come this morning to worship Him. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts in chapter 1. We're continuing our series on preparation 2021 or preparing for the journey that God has in store for us. And last week I was really trying to take a little different approach when it came to our scripture that we encompass in a text. And you may have noticed we walked all the way through Acts chapter 1 verse 9 all the way down through verse 26. That's a larger piece than we normally tackle on any given Sunday. We started with the assumption and went all the way through uh, the disciples' obedience and coming back to Jerusalem, them being devoted in prayer, and then them being wise in their decision-making by being scriptural and seeking to uh, fulfill God's command upon their life. And then you come to Acts chapter 2, and in Acts chapter 2, everything changes. In Acts chapter 2, we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This, this event that took place in Acts chapter 2 is a one time in the history of the world, never to happen again event. This initial descending, if you will, this initial pouring out of the Holy Spirit of God. And our relationship with God changes. Our, the way that we relate to His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit has been from creation. Please don't misunderstand me. And I don't mean that the Holy Spirit wasn't active in the Old Testament. He was, but our relationship with God and with the indwelling Holy Spirit radically changes as a result of God's outpouring in Acts chapter 2. And the church is established. And my, I was ready to go ahead and look at some key truths from chapter 2, but i got to tell you, I kept coming back to Acts chapter 1. And there's just one, one thing that really stuck out in my mind and has stuck out in my mind, and I've just been wrestling with it. I told Suzanne earlier this week to uh, make sure that she was praying for me. I told several of you to make sure you're praying for me because I want to make sure that I don't miss something that the Holy Spirit has for us as a church to understand from where we are and where we're going from, from what God is doing in our life. And what I keep coming back to in Acts chapter 1 is basically the launch team, this group, this motley crew, if you will, this unusual group of people that God has gathered together, that Jesus called to Himself, that He equipped, and then that He sent to Jerusalem to pray. And I just want to read again their names from the book of Acts chapter 1. And I will tell you that this is going to be more of a topical sermon. We're going to be looking at several different passages of Scripture today. But what we have is Jesus ascending, the angel telling them not to stand there gazing up, but to go back and be obedient to the things that they knew to do. And uh, I'm not sure where our text starts this morning. Verse 13. We'll pick up with verse 13. And when they had entered, these are the disciples who have seen Jesus ascend. When they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. It was Peter and John and James, and Andrew. It was Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew. It was James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, Simon the Zealot, sometimes known as Simon the Canaanite, and Judas, or Jude, the son of James, not to be confused with Judas Iscariot. And all of these were with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, his brothers. And so we're looking at a group of about 120 people we see in this passage of Scripture. 120 people who are gathered together, and they're expecting this great move of God. And they're located in the midst of Jerusalem. And at Jerusalem at this time, there were, there were tens of thousands of residents. 
And who was their target group? Who were they looking at? They were, these were the people, many of them, who had cried out, crucify him, just a few weeks ahead of time, talking about Christ, who cried for his blood. And, and they were fickle people. These are also some of the same people who praised him as Messiah when he first came into the city. But also there were a lot of Romans there. Not only the Roman soldiers, but Roman citizenry and some that the Romans had displaced from other cities and brought into Jerusalem. But there were those who had carried out the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we have a pretty small group, a few of whom names we actually know, not all of them, of course. And they became the foundation of the church. And when I say they became the foundation of the church, I don't mean of that one particular church in Jerusalem. From this came the foundation of every church. This was the establishment, the inauguration of the church age, and the establishment of every church, including Pendleton Street Baptist Church today, including every church that is a part of the kingdom of God, that worships the Lord Jesus Christ, that trusts in Him for salvation alone. And so as we talk this morning, I just want to take a, a moment to remind us a few things about ourselves. We are God's church. One of the things that we have been doing is trying to get a feel for what's going on in our world, but particularly in the West End. And one of the things I had the privilege to do this week was to look at some surveys that were previously conducted, and some of these were Secular. Some of these were tied into the census that was recently done, and some of these were done by some organizations in the West End not too long ago, in Greenville, actually, not too long ago. And one of the things that they said was less than 64% of everyone who lives in the West End community, if you count a one-mile radius from where our office is, less than 64% of them have any affiliation, any affiliation, with a church body anywhere, less than 64%. And a lot of people who have an affiliation are only somewhat loosely affiliated. Less than 35% of them actually have a weekly commitment to a local congregation. And yet, when the surveys were asked about the things that are important to them, the number one consensus that was brought back was meaningful relationships. We, don't, we feel like we are missing meaningful relationships in our lives. And one of the reasons that they gave for, or at least that was offered as an option that was in this survey that was responded to pretty highly, was that the church isn't really relevant. The church doesn't really matter anymore. And so, lest some of that thinking sneak into our minds, because of the continual exposure that we have to it. I want to make sure that we understand, and this is the first point on your outline, and I want to encourage you to, to at least take some notes or some thoughts. That hopefully the Holy Spirit will speak to us all this morning. But the first statement I want us to make, or I want to make to us, that is a statement of Scripture, God's truth, is that the church is God's plan to bring glory to Himself and to accomplish His work in the world. And I know that's a long blank, but write it down. Both parts matter. The church is God's plan. When the Lord Jesus Christ ascended, even back before that in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. I will establish my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, which we'll look at closer in just a few moments. 
But God planned from beginning of time that He would establish and make for Himself a people drawn from His people, the Jews, drawn from the Gentiles who did not know Him and were not given the oracles of God or the history that the Jews had with God and create a new people, a new thing, if you will, a new expression of His life and work upon the earth. And it is the church and this is God's sole plan to bring glory to Himself and to accomplish his work in the world so i guess another way to say that simply church is important church is a big deal jesus said i will and this is matthew chapter 16 i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it in Acts chapter one we have the inauguration of the church age the church in jerusalem and then antioch and then it spread to lystra and then derby and across of course europe and asia and then into rome a little bit to the west and all of this is an extension of Jesus' life, Jesus' work. You remember how Luke starts the book of Acts when he says, talking to Theophilus, oh Theophilus, I've already related to you all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. He began then, but he continues now. He continues to do and teach in your body what he began to do and teach in his incarnate body. And when I say body, I mean us corporately connected to others we live in a time when the church has increasingly become perceived as irrelevant to the daily lives of people it wasn't too long ago that even people who didn't know christ or who didn't go to church felt that at least the existence of a church in a community added to the well-being of the community you guys remember those days right we're not talking about very long ago and that is still the perception of some people but i will tell you it is a diminishing perception that number who believe that is decreasing, and it's decreasing rapidly. And to what seems to be, at least if you watch the news, and I don't know that you should, but I'll tell you that if you do, you'll see that. There seems to be an increasing sense that not only is the church not good for a community, the church is an enemy of the community. The church is a detriment to what people want to accomplish in society. Uh, the church can be harmful to what people believe because it's perceived as condemning. God's truth is perceived as condemning. And of course, God's truth does exactly that with the goal of uh, restoration, of, of, of God granting repentance. But a bigger concern to me is even those inside the broader scope of religion, some of those who call themselves religious leaders and have been church leaders, they say that your personal spiritual life matters, but that church doesn't. It doesn't have to be a part of who you are as a believer. You can be a spiritual person without being part of a local church. But I will tell you that is not the perspective of Scripture. It is not the perspective of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I've mentioned it twice already. Let's go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 16. If you, have a, if you have a copy of the Scriptures, go ahead and turn over there. You will remember that Jesus has been quizzing His disciples at this point. Asking them who others say that he is. And then he looks at Peter and he says, who do you say that I am? This is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. Who do you say that I am? And 16, Peter answers and says, you are the Christ. That's the promised one, the Messiah, the Savior, our only hope. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So God made it clear 
to Peter by spiritual revelation to the disciples. Same way he made it known to you, frankly. By the illumination of the Holy Spirit of God, who Jesus is as Messiah and Savior. Jesus goes on in verse 18 and says, And I tell you, you're Peter, you're Cephas, you're a pebble. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I believe that this rock is certainly not an individual and not Peter. This rock is the declaration, I believe, that Peter made, that Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah, the promised one. And on this rock, the Lord Jesus is going to do something amazing. What's He going to do? He's going to start something new. He's going to build His church, a people to Himself, unique, different than any that have come before, any that will come again. And it will be a victorious church because the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it will be a church that is active and that is moving and that is, if you'll... Uh, understand the the phrasing here, that is on the offensive, because gates are not offensive weapons. No one attacks you with a gate. It is the gates that will not prevail. It is the church that moves to reclaim territory, or to claim for God territory that was formerly held by the adversary. He goes on to give them authority. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then, of course, he went on to charge the disciples that the time was not right to reveal who he was. But I want you to understand the significance of this. Jesus establishing the church, his body, to accomplish his purpose, granted his authority and granted his power. The church is not a club. The church is not a civic organization. I I like clubs and civic organizations. The church is not an affinity group. The church is established and built by the Lord Jesus Christ. The body of Christ, it's called in Scripture. The bride of Christ we are. The people of God. And I want you to understand what an honor that is. What, What is the benefit to me of being a part of a church? It's an honor. It's an honor bestowed upon you by Almighty God that He has claimed you, that He has filled you, that He has set you apart, that He has joined you to a local assembly, that He has given you a mission and a task that is a kingly, heavenly mission and task. It is a great honor to be a part of God's church, to be used by God to accomplish His work. In the world. And to enable us to do that, He gives us gifts, graces, if you will, charis. He gives us graces and gifts to enable us to accomplish the work that He wants to do as we give glory to God and fulfill His mission on the earth. I love the image that Paul gives to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And you guys are very familiar with it because I, I've talked about it a lot from this pulpit. It's one of those passages of Scripture that is kind of all encompassing. And so I keep coming back to it. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm just going to pick up in verse 17. Many of you have this memorized. But let's go all the way through this passage to the end. In 17, he says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a... Join right in there. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Or behold, the new has come. Now, verse 18. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Don't skim that. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And by the way, that's not just Paul. 
and Barnabas and Silas and John Mark. That's us. Everyone who is new in Christ, he has given the ministry of reconciliation. What is that ministry? Well, that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's mercy, folks. And entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Wow. And we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And so here's a perspective I want us to grasp. The church of God as an embassy. The church of God is in it. Have you guys ever been to a foreign country? Some of you have. In most foreign countries, many foreign countries, there are United States embassies. We're citizens of the United States. And where that embassy is located, that land, where that embassy is located, is United States sovereign territory, even though it's that land in a, in a foreign place. And staffing that embassy or embassy ambassadorial staff. You have ambassadors, you have the aides, you have the uh, consuls, you have the different people who represent the United States in that foreign land. Folks, this earth is not our home. And we are representatives of heaven. And the church as an entity, we need to get our head around this if we can and maybe explore this even fuller. We are an embassy of heaven. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come in us as you reign in us. Thy kingdom come in us as your people, as we are citizens of your people. And yet, we're in a, in a world that is underneath the authority granted by God of the prince of the power of the air. In which there is darkness, and in which there is a deceit, in which there is sin, in which there is depravity. And we have come to bring the kingdom of God as representatives as though it were an embassy in a foreign land. Is that a good picture? We are ambassadors representing God Himself in the arena that God places us in. We speak with the voice of God. And so the number two statement I want you to write on your outline is the church is God's embassy on earth and we are His ambassadors. As a matter of fact, we should probably change all of this. Instead of simply saying church or the church, which I have in, in, in most of these points, at least the first three, we ought to make it more personal. We, we are God's plan to bring glory to himself. We as a congregation are God's plan to bring glory to himself and accomplish his work in the world. We, we as a congregation are, are, are God's embassy upon earth and are his ambassadors and representatives on the earth. That's a pretty big deal. Would you agree that's a pretty big deal? Every once in a while, I'll just nod. I'll keep going. Would you agree that's a pretty big deal? Because I, I got to tell you, it's so easy not to, not to really grasp this and not to process this. We are so enculturated to think of church as Sunday morning for two hours. Two and a half of class and singing and giving and worshiping. And those are good things. But I got to tell you, when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He wasn't talking about a two hour meeting on Sunday morning. 
We are more than that. We are so much more than that. We are people who have been bought by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are people who have been redeemed and have experienced mercy. We are people who have been joined together by God's divine and sovereign plan, filled with His Spirit, His Spirit poured upon us, and filling us and indwelling us and empowering us, and His mission to make Him known, and to make His name known, to make His exceeding greatness known, to make His forgiveness known, to make His justice known, to make His personality known in the communities around us, is a vital work. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to glorify the Father. And the work that He began, we continue in His power and in His might. And it's more than an hour on Sunday morning. It's more than just this or just that. It encompasses our very makeup, who we are as the people of God. God making His appeal to us. The church is the only one given the authority of the keys of the kingdom. We're the only ones who've been entrusted with the word of life to share those, to see people transformed by Christ's power. We are on the offensive, moving, representing the kingdom of heaven and earth. And the church, as members of the church, we are God's divine representatives. We are the church, saved people, gathering together in Jesus' name to represent the kingdom of heaven on earth. Amen? That's good news. What an honor. What a joy to be bestowed upon us. We have got to stop viewing the church as a place to go or a meeting to attend or a service we partake of. More and more people, even church people, good people, well-intentioned people, moral people, view the church as though it is a place for them to provide some sort of a service for us. When Jesus said, I'll build my church, I said this before, let me say it a little bit more completely. When Jesus said, I will build my church, He wasn't saying, I'll gather some people together on Sunday morning for an hour or two to sing and praise and pray and give and worship, all important things, to hear the Word of God, all important, to do good things, right things, essential things. But He was saying something more. He was saying, I will gather a people. I will unite them in faith. I will ground them in truth. I will empower them with my life. I will give them my authority. I will send them in my name. This is how Peter explains it. And you can follow along. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start in verse 4. Peter describing the church. He's just exhorted them. Hey, don't get caught up in sin. Be moral. There's a difference in your life now. He said, and if you've tasted the goodness of God. Then verse 4. As you come to Him. As you come to Jesus. Who was a living stone rejected by men. But in the sight of God chosen and precious. Listen to how he describes us. You yourselves are like living stones. Or being built, or like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, speaking of Christ, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You will not be put to shame. Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. Listen to how we're described. Living stones built upon the cornerstone. A house built to glorify God. But 
there's a corresponding negative. But for those who do not believe, our mission field, our world, the people around us, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The builders rejected him. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word of God as they were destined to do. And then back to the original statement. In contrast to those who are rejecting God, here's what he says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Now, I don't know that I'm communicating this very well, and I've got to tell you, I've prayed over this, <laughs> and how best to say it. I, I'm, it's up to the Holy Spirit. But I want to make a statement that I think too many times in my life I have missed. And I think that too many people who sit on the pews of churches typically overlook. And that is, church is not something that we do. Church is what we have become. And we probably need to change the grammar in that. Church is not something that we do. Church is something that we have become. In former times, we had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There was a time when I was separated from God by sin. And I may have been a religious person. You may have been a religious person raised in church before you encountered Christ. And a good person until you came to realize that there's none righteous, that there's none good, and you needed the Lord Jesus Christ. And you came to Him in repentance and faith. Or you may have come from a pagan background. Any former pagans here? I always like to ask that question. Everybody looks around. Anybody that was redeemed? Again, I'm going to tell you, you you know more lost or no less loss in your lifestyle. Everyone's equally lost until they come to Christ. Amen? Would you agree with that? But I love 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that passage where he lists these heinous sins. And he says, and that's what you guys used to be. Aren't you glad that God changes lives? There was a time when we had not received mercy. And we may have been religious good, which would make us simply hypocrites, because there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God. There is none good save God alone. Or we may have been rebellious and party lifestyle, and I don't want anything to do with church. Don't, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to cast off all restraints and do what I want to do. And yet at some point, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was exposed to you, and the Holy Spirit of God quickened you and made you alive, and your eyes were open, and you came to Him in repentance and faith. And all of a sudden, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 became your song. The old has passed away. Behold, all has become new. I no longer live to please myself. No. I live to please Him who loved me and gave Himself for me. And you were made new in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus called you and He saved you just like He did Andrew. Remember Andrew? That fisherman who was walking along the shores of Galilee and he heard Jesus talk. And he heard His claims and he believed them and he went and he's got his brother Peter Now, Peter was in a business of fishing, and he had partners, James and John. I don't know. I don't know if he was an entrepreneur or a cutting edge of the day, or if he was just a laborer out there working to put food on the table. But I do know that when he ultimately spoke in Jerusalem, that the 
leaders of the synagogue were amazed that this country boy spoke with such authority and such knowledge. But somehow, Jesus called Andrew, and Andrew invited Peter, and then he went and saw James and John. At one time, they had not received mercy, but now he said, come follow me. And while you are a fisherman, I will make you something greater. I will make you something more. I'll give you a mission. I'll give you a task that only I can accomplish. I will make you fishers of men. Not only that, Jesus walking along the, the city streets and there's a tax collector. And Lord have mercy, nobody likes tax collectors. Not only because they mess with your pocketbook, because in that day, tax collectors were traitors. They were collaborators with the enemy. They collected money on behalf of Rome. And to a devout Jew, that was the, the ultimate in betrayal. And Jesus looks at old Levi. And he says, I got a better task for you. I got a better job for you. I've got, got salvation for you. I've got something to offer you that this world cannot give. And Levi leaves all and follows the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew once he had not received mercy, but now he has. What about old Thomas, the twin? We don't know a lot about Thomas. Thomas Didymus, which means twin. We don't know a whole lot about Thomas. He probably had a twin or may have had a twin. I like to think he had a twin because I have a twin. Old Thomas, what we know about Thomas is that when, when, when it came right down to it, he doubted. He doubted the resurrection. Followed Jesus around for years. Listened to his teaching. Was, and yet, when Jesus was resurrected, even though he had told him he was going to, he's like, I'll believe it when I see it. Prove it. Prove it. You ever been there? Here's old Thomas, and yet, here's Thomas devoting himself to prayer in the upper room with the other disciples and Mary and the other women in the 120. And he's one of those that God poured the Holy Spirit out upon to make a difference in one day in the lives of 3,000 people in Jerusalem. What about Nathaniel? You remember Philip? Philip was called by Christ, and Philip went and got Nathaniel. He said, Nathaniel, man, there's this guy, and he's out in Nazareth, and you ought to hear what he's got to say. This is the Messiah. He's the real thing. And Nathaniel says, Nazareth? I don't think so. I don't think so. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And even as he's approaching, <laughs> Jesus talks to him and reveals it. Listen. Here comes a man with no guile. You don't know me. I know you, buddy, Jesus says. My translation. I knew you when you were under the fig tree before Philip even showed up. And just that little bit of foreknowledge and supernatural knowledge. And Nathaniel says, wow, you are the Son of God. And Jesus says, you think that's something? My translation. You ain't seen nothing yet. You're going to see the power of God like you've never seen. You, Nathaniel, the skeptic who wondered if anything could come out of Nazareth or not. You know what amazes me about Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2? Is you had Simon the Zealot, who was part of a cult, who was trained to carry knives around hidden, concealed weapons, in case he came across a collaborator like Levi, 
or a Roman occupier, and he had the chance to kill him and could surreptitiously do that because he was a staunch Canaanite, Jews for Canaan. He was a staunch Jew, Jerusalem for the Jews, Judah for the Jews. And he takes this widely diverse group of people from all these different backgrounds, from all these different educational levels, and he throws them together in one group, and he invests his life in them, and he teaches them, and he claims them, and he calls them, and they still stumble, and they still struggle. And he says, you're my guys. I'm leaving. I'm going to see at the right hand of the Father. But I will send another of the same kind, the Holy Spirit, who you know You've been with Him, but now He will be in you. And once He is in you, you're going to turn this world upside down. And God will be glorified. You'll complete the work that I've begun. And God will be glorified. And lost people will get saved. And we think that church is something we can choose whether to join or not. We think that church is something we can choose whether we ought to participate in or not. Let me tell you, the church is not a schedule on your calendar, even though being part of the church influences your calendar. The church is what you have become when the Holy Spirit has indwelled you and cleansed you and made you new. Isn't that exciting? Does that excite you? It's just almost overwhelming, isn't it? Almost overwhelming to think that we are God's embassy and God's ambassadors. We are the church of God. A people set apart for His name. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Why? In order that you might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Why? In order that we might proclaim, we might speak forth, we might show with our lives and tell with our voices the excellencies of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of God the Holy Spirit, who has called us from darkness into His marvelous life. Why was this church planted on Pendleton Street in 1889? Why are we meeting here continually at the Hilton Hotel, 45 Orchard Park, Greenville, South Carolina, Sunday mornings, 1030? Why are we working toward having a ministry worship center back on the West End? We have an office over there now. We have a place to serve over there now. Why? It is in order that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us from darkness to life. Because we have the keys to the kingdom. Because we are the embassy, His ambassadors. The church is so much more than something we do. The church is who we are all the time. Thus, And here's the single application point (laughs) of this sermon. Being an active part of a local church ought to be a priority. If you are placed in the body of Christ, if you are made a member of the bride of Christ when you get saved, you ought to be connected to a local expression of that body. There is nothing in the New Testament that speaks against that and everything in the New Testament that teaches that is true. Not a casual commitment, not just when it's convenient, not as consumers, but a people, individuals whose impact is multiplied. One of the many benefits of being part of a local congregation, one of the many benefits of being part of a local congregation is that how God uses you is multiplied when we come together as a family of faith. Number one, we are discipled. We are equipped. 
we are able to stand together as a collective body of Christ. A disciple is a person who verbally and visibly reflects the rule of Christ in every area of our lives. We are obedient to God simply because He's God and we're not. And He said it and it's true. And we hold on to the truth of God. One of our central tenets, one of our core beliefs, one of the things that defines who we are as a church is the centrality and sufficiency of the Word of God. Amen? God said it. It's what's important. It's what we hold to. The church is God's plan to bring glory to Himself and accomplish His work in the world. There is no plan B. The role of bringing heaven into history belongs to the church only. That's why it's important that our number one affiliation be with the body of Christ. Living stones forming one spiritual house. God works through His body. He will do things through the church that are exceedingly abundantly above more than we can ask or imagine. How many of you wish, in your heart of hearts, you wish that there were people in the Philippines who had come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Everybody? Don't you wish they would? Can I tell you something? If you're a member of Pendleton Street Baptist Church or part of Pendleton Street Baptist Church, if you're engaged in the work of ministry of Pendleton Street Baptist Church, you have been a part of people in the Philippines hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel and being saved. Well, how did we do that? With our partnership with Melo. Lemmy Bow and his wife Ruth and their church and the four churches they have already planted or the fifth church they've already planted and the gospel being shared. Do you understand what I talk about when I'm talking about multiplying ministry? How many of you would like lost people in Turkey to hear the gospel in their language and be exposed to God's truth and get saved and form a church? How many of you would like for that to happen? If you're a part of this congregation, you're a part of us as we partner with some missionaries who are located right there, right now, praying for them and encouraging them, equipping them, come alongside of them. You understand what I mean when I'm talking about you can do more together? That God works through us corporately in ways that we could never work alone? Isn't that a privilege? Isn't that a joy? It matters. It matters. Living stones forming one spiritual house, God working through His body to do things through the church that are exceedingly abundantly more than we can imagine or even than we know to ask. Now there's another thing about these list of disciples that are on the beginning. How many of you can name all 12? There will be a test. Did I tell you there's going to be a test? I'm kidding. How many of you can name all 12 disciples? Can anybody want to volunteer just run them off real quick? We got a few of us, and we learn it. I learned it in Sunday school. You learned it in Sunday school. Yeah, we got a few of us. We can name them in Sunday school, but most people don't know the names of all the disciples. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of disciples that the only time we ever hear their name is the list of names where Jesus called his disciples or where they're named. What was Matthias's impact upon the kingdom of God? How much did Bartholomew do? Thaddeus, he's my favorite. Do you you understand the point? Maybe not, I haven't made it yet. It's not about recognition. 
my name, my credibility, as far as being seen as fame or worthy of recognition or knowledge. This is a, and here's the thing that I know you guys. I've seen your labors and your prayers. I know some of you guys who spend hours on your knees praying. I've seen you guys who come early and stay late to enable worship to happen. I've seen you guys show up to serve, not not wanting any recognition or any acknowledgement for what you're doing. I, I see that you're not putting yourselves forward. And that's the definition of the church. Who do we put forward? We put forward the Lord Jesus Christ and His name and His glory. And it's strengthened as we come together. The goal of this message this morning is really simple. I want to elevate your understanding and my understanding of who we are as Pendleton Street Baptist Church. We are the embassy of heaven on earth. We are the means by which God has chosen to bring glory to himself and to make disciples. We are the ones that God has called to impact the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we may never achieve earthly fame, but we don't want it. We want to be famous in heaven. We want to be known and recognized by the souls that have been changed as a result of our obedience as the body of Christ. Amen? Isn't God good? It is a great privilege to be a part of this congregation. It's a great privilege to be a part of any local congregation that is built upon the Word of God, filled by the Spirit of God, accomplishing the purposes of God. But it is... For me particularly, I'm in. I'm in. I'm all the way in. I'm all the way in. I want God to use me fully and complete me, completely as a part of this body to accomplish His purpose in the world. And i got to tell you, we're going to be asking a lot. He asks a lot. He asks for everything. And so we want to be completely yielded so that God accomplishes His purpose in us and through us. Father, thank You for our time. Thank you for the example that we have of the establishment of the church and the example of these apostles. And Lord, we look at some of them, and honestly, the truth is, we recognize that if you can use them, you can use us. That what, what distinguishes them is they're saying yes to your call. What distinguishes them is their availability and yieldedness. And yes, they stumbled, and yes, they struggled, and, and yes, they went through a lot of things, just like we do. And yet you have created something new. You've taken the gospel and you've taken lost people, both Jew and Gentile, and you've created this new entity, the church, the people of God, saved by the grace of God, now a people of God, a holy priesthood, designed to declare the excellencies of God. And I pray that we will fulfill that role fully and clearly, that we'll grasp it, that we'll understand it, that we will embrace the reality of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. In your name I pray, Father. Amen.